standing. We remain standing in honor of our gospel lesson from Luke this morning. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, to put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Our children may be dismissed for their time of worship. When I was growing up, not too much older than these who are walking out, my dad loved to take my brother and I camping and backpacking. He would put out all the effort, gathering all the supplies, meticulously pouring over outdoor stores, turning upside down the basement, much to my mother's displeasure, 
and deliberately packing everything into little Ziploc baggies and distributing them amongst us. And after driving several hours, we would set out, carrying only the essentials on our backs. Turning one last time to see the car, we would say goodbye to civilization and enter into God's creation, where all of our plans and control faded away, and we were at the mercy of the wilderness. I always loved the way my dad's soul would just seem to come alive underneath the canopy of trees. Awe would overtake him, and he would be a child again, marveling at the wonder of creation. Nature is my dad's sacred and magical playground. But when I was 16, I went with my brother and our friends from church to see the latest buzzed-about movie, The Blair Witch Project. (laughs) The film shows footage of friends backpacking in the Black Hills of Maryland in search of the legend of the Blair Witch. And as the movie progressed, I held my knees to my chest as the wilderness became a place of terror and fear for their pursuits led to their disappearance in the woods. My brother and friends saw the terror in my eyes, and for them the terror became the inspiration of plenty of practical jokes when we unloaded at Red River Gorge that next weekend. They delighted at jumping out in front of me and screaming at random and building those haunted stick figures and putting them outside of my tent. And even though my dad was with us, the wilderness had turned from a place of an idealistic dream into my worst nightmare. The same trails, the same trees, the same beauty, and yet a totally different scene. The setting had not changed. I had changed. I lived in a new reality. My perspective had shifted. Fear became the lens through which I saw. The events of the movie may or may not have been real, but the fear that it inspired was real. For although the wilderness itself was not haunted, my eyes became open to the reality that all was not at peace in God's creation. When the prodigal son set down the road leaving his father's house, the road held possibility. Step by step, the road led him to what he believed to be a world of opportunity. His inheritance heavy in his pockets, his pace picked up as he saw the sights and sound of the far distant country. One foot in front of the other, he walked towards a world that would prey on his desire for immediate gratification, selling guaranteed happiness at a price. Hoarding and binging and gorging himself, the world offered and he gave it all away. His new friends drained him. His new pursuits depleted his resources. His selfish behaviors exhausted his heart. And before too long, we find him standing on the edge of death. Starved for the basics of food and shelter, he succumbs to his limits. He comes face to face with the reality that satisfaction cannot be bought, that the world is not there to serve our every want, and the dreams within him died, and he was left with nothing. Standing in the fields jealous of the pigs, he faced his limits. He was not invincible, he was not self sufficient, and he was not in control. Admitting defeat, he makes his way back to that road home. The same road, the same sights, the same feet, and yet a totally different scene. 
The setting had not changed. He had changed. He lived in a new reality. His perspective had shifted, for defeat became the lens through which he saw everything. Step by step, he walks closer to the coming judgment. Apologies ready just to fall from his lips. He imagines his parents' disapproval. One foot in front of the other, he walks towards, I told you so. His shame heavy in his pockets. His pace slows as he shuffles towards judgment and consequences. That road that once held possibility is now a dead end. He walks towards his childhood home, knowing home to be a place of accountability. Home is a place that counts wrongs. Home is a place where you earn your worth. Home was a dead end for him. He imagined his brother ready to pass judgment. He imagined his new role, earning forgiveness as a hired hand, a mere ghost of the person he once was. The prodigal son and his older brother assumed they knew the limits of their father's love. They assumed they knew how he would react. And they could not fathom that instead of condemnation, their father would receive him home with joyous celebration. The son did not predict what happened next, his father running to him down the road, arms wrapping around him and picking off the ground his frail body and kissing his muddy face. The same son, the same father, the same road, and yet a totally different scene. Not a trial in judgment, but a joyous celebration. God is in the business of defying our expectations. God is in the business of changing the way that we see. So I want to get you out of your comfort zone and get interactive. So take your right hand and point up. Humor me. Okay. I want you to trace a circle going clockwise with your finger. And I then want you to slowly bring it underneath your nose. And I want you to look at it. And which way is it going? Counterclockwise. We'll do it again. That you go, <laughs> if you start going clockwise and then you pull it underneath your nose, you're going counterclockwise. Yeah. Some of you will be lost for the next five minutes as you think about that. <clears throat> the youth in the back. Um, One of my professors always loved to do that with us, um, to talk about perspective. Because we get stuck seeing our lives from our limited perspective. And in scripture, God is always inviting us to look at it from a different way, the way God sees. We see a dead end and God sees a road home. God is always taking the facts of our lives, the conclusions that we have made, and turning them upside down and surprising us by changing our perspective. This child of mine was dead and is alive again. This child of mine was lost and is found. What you find impossible, I find possible. My capacity for forgiveness is larger than you can imagine. My capacity for healing is grander than you could dream. Those dead ends that you see, they are the place where my work begins. It is precisely in the moments when you face your limits 
that I get to show you my limitless, boundaryless love. As a minister to youth, I work with people who are reflecting on life for the first time, who are learning their limits and struggling to find satisfaction in a culture that preaches that success, whether academic, social, or economic, as the only means to happiness. They are constantly having to prove their worth to their teachers or their coaches, their parents, their friends, themselves. And on a bad day, a bad grade can be more than just a judgment of that one time. It can be a judgment of who you are. It calls into question your worth as a person and leaves you faced with the limits of your own humanity, your inability to achieve perfection, the perfection that you dream of and the world expects. So when she laughed through the struggles at school, I sensed that the wound was a bit deeper than she let on. She was surviving, but facing dead ends at every corner. Summer provided a relief from the stress of school, but it was all there just simmering underneath the surface. So we went to camp and we sat over milkshakes, a sacred ritual of milkshakes, and we started to talk about the stresses of school. In the comfortable space of her closest friends, her tough exterior melted, and she allowed us to see the real girl inside. Like the prodigal son, she sought after success by the means of the world, and she had found herself falling short every time. With arms wrapped around her, we helped her up and quieted the voices of failure in her own mind, and we tried to strengthen her legs so that she could get back on the road encouraging her that her life was not a dead end, holding for her the hope that she could not hold for herself. And then no longer propped up by the expectations of perfection, she softened and she began to breathe again. Weeks later, she unloaded off of our vans and walked into the doors of Touching Miami with love for our first day of camp. The kids of Overtown were ready to test their limits to see what they were made of, to see all the discipline tactics that they had learned from their parents, to see if they worked. And they mustered up every ounce of patience and compassion and wisdom that they could. But at the end of that first day, the frustration was palpable. And as we piled back in our vans, her head hung for fear that this once again was going to be an opportunity for which she was not good enough. Knowing the road of healing she had begun walking, we rallied around her. We provided opportunity for her to practice her leadership parts. We gave her encouraging words. But most of all, we gave her space to be honest about the yearning in her to be good enough and the fear that she was not. That week, she continued the humbling and yet strengthening act of showing up letting go of her fear of failure and finding her worth as she offered her best to God, the one who turns a few fish and loaves into a feast, who turns a mustard seed into a towering tree. And by the end of the week, her smiles had reemerged, but this time with a brilliance and a radiance that spoke of new life and of resurrection. To you, our congregation, I am grateful for your offerings, for your funds provided those milkshakes, our week at camp, our transportation in Miami, our supplies that brought love to life, 
And God took those offerings and created the most beautiful offering. A young woman who found God, and God found her and rescued her amidst her sufferings. She is a new creation, one who knows the value of honesty and humility and grace, whose eyes are taking notice of those around, who, around her who are at their dead end. And now with new eyes, she needs your help. This life of following Christ is hard. We cannot escape our human homes, our bodies and minds and hearts, which wrestle with fear and pride and greed, to name a few. We need space here at Highland to strengthen our legs for that road home, to find courage to love like God does, and to seek space to be honest about the dead ends that we feel. So as we turn in our pledges this day to the 2014 operating budget, may we see the facts and figures of our budget process through the eyes of God. May we take these mundane items such as pen and paper and may they become the bricks and stones that build a road home. For the reality is, in the coming year, those in this community and those outside will need a road home. Just like our story, a family might face despair when a loved one chooses to go off on their own path that leads to isolation. Your gifts will allow us to have the resources to help our Bible study classes be community for them during their time of grief. And just like our story, a family will welcome home their loved one and begin the process of rebuilding relationships. Your gifts will allow us to provide a feast of celebration over what has been found. Your gifts will allow ministries to rebuild their self-worth as a child of God. And just like our story, a family will struggle to forgive as the older brother does. Your gifts will equip our teachers to help them learn to teach reconciliation and forgiveness. Your gifts will allow ministries to change our perspective, to see the world the way that God does. On our hardest days, it can feel like our home is standing amongst the pigs. Facing a dead end, our hearts become hardened, and hope is a far distant dream. We need this place. We need God's highland to hear the invitation to take the same facts of our lives and change our perspective to see the way that God sees our lives. From death, God brings new life. From despair, God grants hope. From impossible, God finds possible. Pledging our money means stepping out in radical trust. Rather than relying on our own self-sufficiency, holding our resources tight to our chest, we are letting go, letting go of control and trusting that God sees a way home even when we cannot see it right now. May our pledges this day be an act of commitment to walk hand in hand with one another, looking for those who need a shoulder to lean on as they walk and always trusting God's grace will once again surprise us as we enter into God's heart and God's home and God's highland. 
Should today be the day that you want to walk that road home to be a follower of Christ or to join this community of faith as we seek to trust a God who calls us home? It is our tradition that in our final hymn you come forward and share that decision with us. Now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more than all we could ask or imagine. To God may we give our worship and our praise and our very lives. Amen. Let us sing. <laughs>